You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Today we're kicking off a new message series, and it's called uh, Big Ideas on Worship. Uh, Worship is, um, here at Vineyard Church, it is our highest priority, but that's not just something that's exclusive uh, to Vineyard Church. Uh, It is, it's the the highest priority of those who are followers of Jesus. It's what God created us uh, to be worshipers and to do, to give our lives in worship. You know, uh, just a, an old, old, wonderful part of, of church life and, and, and theology is the Westminster Catechism. And the very first question is, you know, what is the chief end of mankind or, or man? And, and the, the response is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And this is a, a wonderful way of, of, of just looking at and reflecting on our worship life. And I realize that particularly if you've been part of Vineyard Church for a while, you may uh, hear, okay, another message series on worship and maybe sort of tune me out because you've been there, done that. But let me ask you this this morning. Vineyard Church of Augusta, how is your worship life? How's your worship life? How fresh, how dynamic, how real, how intimate, how is your worship life? We're going to be talking about uh, just a number of things next week. uh, Roger's going to be talking about the importance of of not just worshiping individually, but the corporate dynamic, that communal dynamic of worship. We'll be talking about worship as a lifestyle, and uh, Angela's going to be talking about uh, the, the truth that the, we become like what we worship. That's what we're going to be looking at throughout the month of June as we focus on this series. And let me give you a heads up. We also have uh, a change of order of service coming your way beginning next Sunday. Okay, so if you look around and you see a friend that normally sits next to you or is normally here at church, you might want to take out your phone right now and text them something because next Sunday we're going to flip the order around. We are going to have at 10 a.m., our start time, a call to worship. We'll have a song that'll call us to worship, and then we're going to have plugs, and we're going to have welcome, we're going to receive the offering, pray over the offering, and then it's going to be the message, okay? So if you are one of those lovely, wonderful, special people uh, who tends to come in 10 to 15 minutes into the service during the middle of worship, and God loves you, and so do we... Um, next week, all these folks are going to be sitting down and the sermon's going to have begun. And uh, we just want to encourage you every Sunday, but particularly this Sunday, be here in time. And then after the message, we're going to put into practice what we've just been hearing, what we've been taught on. So sort of a laboratory of sorts, sort of a, sort of a lab, a theology, a theology lab, if you will, uh, where we actually get to put into practice uh, what we've just heard taught. And then we'll have our prayer and ministry time that'll focus on that. So if uh, we're going to have that in the newsletter, want to remind you about that. Be a good friend to a brother or sister who may not be here this morning. Maybe text them, call them, remind them, let them know that next week there's going to be uh, a change in the order of service because we're going to worship after we get taught more about worshiping. Makes sense, and it'll be a lot of fun. The worship that God calls us to, it's not an empty ritual. You've heard me say that a million times, and you will continue to hear me reiterate that over and over again. It is an intimate relationship 
We see that from the very beginning of Scripture throughout all of Scripture. Our God, who is love, He initiates this intimate relationship with us. He initiates it. God, who is love, extends love to us. When we receive His love, then we can turn around and express that love back to Him. And in its simplest form, that is the worship relationship that we are invited into. Something that helps me and has always helped me with this idea of worship is to consider the old English origin of this worship, of the word that we use for worship here in the English language. And, and it's this, the idea of worship is, is worthship. It was derived from the old English word worthship, uh, that uh, we ascribe worth to something. And that is what we worship. And, and how do we assess what we ascribe worth to? It's really simple. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, said, you want to know what you worship? Take out your calendar or your day planner and your checkbook and look at the entries, and that'll tell you what you worship. I would also add this, not that, uh, I would also add, what do you think about? What do you find yourself thinking about? What's going on in your imagination most of the time, your preoccupation? I, I would say I know in my own heart and life, that also helps me to, to really hone in on what I'm worshiping what I'm truly worshiping. I can give lip service to, well, I am a worshiper of God. But then if I find myself thinking about something or someone else all the time, then really, am I? Am I ascribing the worth that, that God is due? So if you're here this morning, if you're watching with us and joining us online, no matter who you are, the question is not, am I a worshiper? We're all worshipers. All of us, uh, those who have no interest in Christianity, those who are people of no faith, we are all worshipers because that's what God created us to be. So that's not the question, am I a worshiper? The question is, what or who am I worshiping? That's the question. If you go out in our, our lobby, you're going to find different placards around the lobby that, that express our vineyard values. If you were in my Vineyard DNA small group, which there's still room for those who haven't joined us yet, uh, we talked about those values last week, and those are values that are common to all vineyard churches, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And the first two of those values really resonate with Today, we're selling, uh, uh, celebrating Pentecost Sunday, uh, and the very first value is that we are people of the kingdom of God who partner with the Holy Spirit, and that second value goes right along with it. We are people of the kingdom of God who worship and experience God, and, and it's a perfect opportunity to recommit ourselves today to Holy Spirit-led worship. Holy Spirit-led worship that is, is, is coming from our hearts, not just from our heads, not an empty formulaic ritual that we go through, but, but hearts that are tuned in to the love of God, receiving the love of God, expressing that love back to Him, and letting our lives uh, indicate that in the way that we live our lives as people of God's presence. Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. This topic today and this first big idea on worship is that our worship welcomes the presence of God. Would you join me in praying that God would just come and, and give us passion for uh, Him, for the worship that connects our hearts and our lives to Him. So Holy Spirit, 
We just thank you for your presence with us. We, we have done that today. We have welcomed your manifest presence with our worship today. And we thank you that just as you've promised, you've come. Lord, we thank you for your presence as we celebrate uh, Kurt's baptism. We thank you for your presence that brings healing to our bodies, our minds, our spirits, that gives us joy, that gives us strength. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, our worship is for you and for you alone, but in your goodness, in your kindness, you bless us. And Lord, I pray that we, Vineyard Church of Augusta, corporately and individually would be the worshipers you have called and created us to be. Lord, where there is distraction, where there is preoccupation with something or someone other than you, Lord, bring your kingdom. Come and set things right in our hearts and our spirits. We welcome you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this first message uh, today in the series, Worship Welcomes God's Presence. You know, before David was a warrior, before he was a king, David was a worshiper. And, and one of his worship songs, uh, one of the Psalms that we find uh, is Psalm 22, and he includes this, this idea, and this is sort of the basis of this premise that worship welcomes God's presence. Uh, in Psalm 22, 3, it says, you, O God, are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Now, if you're a fan, if you grew up with the, the King James Version as I did, and probably many of you did, uh, you know that that verse is translated, uh, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Thou art holy, O Lord, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And basically what David's saying is, God, I, I recognize that my worship welcomes your presence. And since God is enthroned in our praises, Worship, our worship, our not just when we come together to sing on Sunday mornings or in our small groups, but just the way we live our lives every day, it welcomes God's presence. Uh, and it is key for fully entering into his presence where we get to experience his kingdom. Uh, we, we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way that we can tangibly welcome God's presence is through our worship. And then we experience his peace, his joy, uh, him coming and setting things right according to his good and loving standard. Our worship welcomes the presence of God. And some of you may be thinking, well, Reese, isn't God already here? Isn't really he everywhere? Isn't that true? Yes, I, again, looking back to uh, my Sunday school years, I remember uh, being taught the lesson that God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, that God is omniscient, he is all-knowing, and that God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. And those things are all true, and I continue uh, to subscribe to those things. So then, therefore, if those things are true, that he is omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent, how does our worship welcome the presence of God if he's already here? Well, God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere at the same time, even when we don't experience his presence. Now, I know that 
in a group this, this size that probably some of you are today having a wonderful experience of God's presence being a real and vital thing in your life. And I praise God for that. But I also live in the same world that you do, and I share the same kind of emotions and ups and downs and, and roller coasters that you do. And I know that maybe some of you are here today, and even after that wonderful, dynamic, just fantastic set of worship songs this morning, that maybe right now you're like, God, uh, I guess you're with us. I don't really feel it. I'm not really experiencing it. And that's okay. Uh, we all live there at times. And, and that's where it's so important for us to know that God is omnipresent, that whether I sense it, whether I'm experiencing that truth or that reality, that he is present everywhere at the same time. He's, he's present for all of us. Uh, we can understand and trust that God is omnipresent. Uh, this, again, is, is so important when you're having a very difficult time, when you're going through a tough season where everything seems to be going against you. Yes, uh, you had a bad day and God is still present. But I'm also thankful that God's manifest presence is available to us. And God's manifest presence awakens our awareness with, that he is with us as we experience him. And, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of our worship welcoming God's presence. It's a, a worship that welcomes and experience the reality that, God, you are with me. You are alive. You are real. And I'm, 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 I'm experiencing that. And I, I'm so thankful that we see every part of the Trinity, all parts of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, making himself manifestly uh, real to people throughout Scripture. We see that, of course, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. We see it also even after sin uh, when God uh, the Father spoke to Moses in the burning bush. You can read about that in Exodus 3. Of course, Jesus comes to earth, God the Son, and he, is, he takes on flesh, the incarnation. Uh, he moves into our neighborhood, uh, and he's born as a human being. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the, the apostle John tells us in John 1. And then the day that we're celebrating today in the Christian calendar, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit uh, came upon those believers in the upper room. And if you're not familiar with that, let's, let's take a look at that passage. Acts chapter 2. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they, followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The result of this manifest presence of God in the lives of the disciples, and every disciple since these disciples has been a world turned upside down and hearts and lives turned right side up for the sake of the kingdom of God. On the day of Pentecost, there was a multi-sensory experience of the manifest presence of God. Uh, as we just read this passage, uh, just that they heard a sound. 
they heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. They saw uh, what seemed to be tongues of fire, something that they, they heard, they experienced, they, they saw, there was a visualization, uh, and then they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. God's manifest presence made clear and convincing, overt and unmistakable interaction with his people, an authentic experience of the manifest presence of God. And brothers and sisters uh, who I love and care for, uh, God's not done doing that. He is not done doing that. As people come together seeking after him, hungering for his presence, and, and engaging in worship, uh, God loves showing up. He loves coming and making himself known in all kinds of amazing and, and wonderful ways. The big idea is really good news that whether we are joined with brothers and sisters for joyful and worship and prayerful experiences like we have on Sundays. Uh, other times when we get together, we've got a night of worship coming up in July that I'm looking forward to, um, and, and, or when we find ourselves alone. And maybe not just in your quiet devotional time, maybe, maybe when you find yourself alone and you're isolated, even in despair, maybe you're overwhelmed with a sense of being held captive by just the junk of this world, the kingdom of darkness. And maybe it's, it's things that, where you've been sinned against, or maybe it's the result of your own sin. It doesn't matter. Uh, there is a powerful reminder that we're going to look at in a story a little later in the book of Acts, and it's this, that circumstances of our lives do not diminish the character of God. He, he continues to be worthy of our praise. Uh, it doesn't diminish his character and it doesn't diminish his worthiness to be worshipped. And we're going to see that this morning. If you've got your Bibles and want to turn over with me to Acts chapter 16, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 16, we're seeing the reality of the manifest presence of God showing up in, in yet a, another way, a powerful way, and a different way. And maybe this morning, you can relate more to what we're going to read about with Paul and Silas as they find themselves in prison. Then you can, uh, the disciples waiting uh, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Whichever fits for you, take it and go with it, all right? Uh, both of them are great, and both of them I know in my own life I've experienced. Uh, and, and I would encourage you, but wherever you are this morning, know that worship of God, wholehearted worship of God welcomes the manifest presence of God. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas find themselves unjustly and unfairly imprisoned. They are in jail. As they were ministering before they got in jail, there was a young woman they came in contact with who was demonized. And one of the manifestations of the demonic presence in her life was that she was able to uh, foretell the future. And some sort of uh, icky entrepreneurs decided to capitalize on that. And they started making money off of her. Uh, people would pay money to have their fortunes told. And uh, she was following Paul and his ministry team and just really just, you know, just being a distraction. And finally, Paul had had enough. And he sensed that what was going on in the Holy Spirit. And he turned around and he cast out the Spirit and she was set free. But she also no longer was able to make money for the icky entrepreneurs that, uh, that she had been working for. And they did not like that. 
they had Paul and Silas cast uh, in jail. These handlers did that. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, if you'd like to read along with me. About midnight, uh, Paul and Silas in jail. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So today we're going to have cupcakes. Paul and Silas had a whole meal after the baptism, you know? It's a start. Cupcakes are a start, right? So... Even as followers of Jesus, people going about doing uh, their lives, doing the ministry of Jesus, you know, just like Paul and Silas, we can find ourselves experiencing and contending with the injustices of this world. We, we, we live in the kingdom of God and the not yet of the kingdom of God, that tension. We live there. And, and so we, we find ourselves there. Um, and, and this experience with Paul and Silas provides us some important takeaways. I want to hit on two this morning. Paul and Silas, as they're sitting there in prison in the dark, they set their focus on worshiping God. They did not set their focus on, on just going over all of the injustices and the unfairness or figuring, figuring a way out of their condition. Their focus was on worshiping God I am the first to, to say, uh, we did a message on confession and repentance a few weeks ago, so here's one for me. I have a tendency when I am dealing with injustice and unfairness and just the, the junk of the kingdom of this world to get distracted by the injustice, and I take my eyes off God. And that is a major, major problem for me and anybody else who would choose to take that same route. Jesus himself told his disciples before he was crucified, before he was resurrected, before he ascended, he said, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, be of good courage, take heart, have, uh, be of good cheer, have courage by worshiping God, by setting our hearts and our focus on God, his goodness, his love, his power, his wonderful promises to us we can experience the manifest presence of God. And in God's presence, we can be strengthened. We can experience joy. We can experience peace in the middle of crazy, in the middle of chaos. And this is part of our decision to seek first the kingdom of God, that we seek first the kingdom of God by choosing to worship God, to, by making that decision 
Uh, too often we're, we're so busy focusing, well, if I'd only done this, second-guessing decisions, and, and it's, it's good to learn from our mistakes. When we make this mistakes, we need to learn from them. But then when we learn from them, it's about let's set my, my focus on God, on his goodness, on who he is. Sometimes it's like I got myself in this mess. I got to get myself out of this mess. How's that working for you? I would say, first, seek God's kingdom. Welcome his rule and reign. Do that through being who and what he's called us to be, his sons, his daughters, worshipers of God, people in an intimate relationship with him. Um, You know, some of the things we land ourselves in these imprisonments, some of the things life happens and we find ourselves here. Paul and Silas were worshiping. They're praying to God because he's worthy. I don't think that Paul and Silas were saying, if we worship, I bet God's going to break these chains, and I bet he's going to open these doors, because we see that Paul is imprisoned in other times, and guess what? He's praying and he's worshiping there, and the outcome's not the same. But God chose to, to, to show this, and, and whether, whether God comes in and Burst open the doors and breaks the chains. God doesn't stop being worthy of the worship of our hearts and lives. Never. He never stops. I don't care what happens. I don't care what injustice I go through or you go through, what unfairness comes on us. God never stops being worthy of the wholehearted worship and adoration of my life and your life. And as we wait and as we choose to worship and pray, And to trust God, that's what this really means to trust God. This is an act of trusting God. This is what it means to be faithful and committed to our highest priorities as worshipers of God. This was what David was doing when in Psalm 34, another one of his worship songs, when he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And if you read the context for this psalm in Psalm 34, things are not going well. But David realizes, I need the Lord's presence. And for me to have the Lord's presence, I have to choose. I have to decide that I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord. And this is a decision that David made. This was a decision that Paul and Silas made. This is a decision that you and I have to make. There are those times... When this kind of worship is just a natural outflow of what God is doing in our hearts and lives. And there are times when this kind of outflow is completely non-existent, is dried up, there is nothing there. Or maybe that's just me and my brokenness, all right? I don't think so, because I've lived around enough of you, and I've experienced enough of life with you to know that that's not the case There are times when we feel so discouraged and so overwhelmed with despair that worship is the last thing that we feel like we want to do, that it actually feels very inauthentic. It almost feels like a a disconnect or disunity or dissonance that just is like, is this contrived? God, are you honored in this? And that's why I'm so thankful for the Psalms. If you need some help in your worship life, uh, just take your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, open it right in half. You're going to likely land in the Psalms. And those are 150 worship songs 
that, that deal with every kind of emotion that you might be going through. For those who are, you know, on the mountaintop, life is all good. Everything's coming up roses. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I'm, I'm thrilled for you. I love it when that happens uh, uh, me, with me in the Leroy household. But if you're in that place of, oh, God, I hate everybody. God, is it wrong for me to throw small babies against rocks and break their teeth? It's in there. I didn't write that. I didn't. Kids like me. A, a, a kid gave me some artwork this morning as a gift. I'm just saying, yes. But that's when we choose, we choose, we will to worship. And this obedience honors God and it welcomes his presence. And, and I'm not saying that it comes in and change, his presence comes in and changes everything. I've gone through some pretty cruddy stuff, and you have too. And there are times when God's presence comes and it brings lift and life and it changes circumstances and situations. And then there are those other times when I worship and God's presence comes and he takes me by the hand and he walks with me through the junk. And I need both of those. And so do you. Um, as I was thinking this week about you know, this, I've, I've got different examples in my life and I've shared many of those with you in terms of dark times, but I was reminded of uh, the literal dark time. You, you notice that Paul and Silas, they're praying and they're worshiping in the dark. Uh, they had not gotten around to, to installing the LED lights in this particular prison. And so they're, they're worshiping in the dark at night and, uh, and just thinking in terms of being in prison, being in darkness. And I, I was recalling, I guess it was about, wow, let's see, eight years ago? Uh, it was around this time, actually, of the year, that I got something in my eye, and it just went haywire, uh, scratched my cornea, got my cornea infected. And if you were here around that time, you might remember some Sundays that I actually preached in sunglasses, and it's because I'm so cool. Yes. <laughs> No, the light sensitivity was awful. I mean, I, I pretty much had to live in the dark for several months because the light sensitivity was just way too much. There was even a one or two Sundays where I wore a patch. Talk about really being cool. And none of my Seinfeld fan friends got me a puffy shirt, you know? <laughs> Inside joke for you Seinfeld fans. But uh, I just remember that was just a, that was a horrible time. It was horrible. It was like, part of it was like, God, this pain is just wretched. If you've ever had intense eye pain, you probably know what I'm talking about. It was awful. And, and then also it was, you know, God, why have you done this to me? And it's like, Reese, where's your theology? How did it get so screwed up? And it's like, you just, your mind goes places. You start focusing on all these things. And I also had a few folks come along and say, what have you done? It's like, wow, thanks, brother, you know? But it was, a, it was a tough time. It was a really difficult time. And one of the things that, that there came like two months where I basically lived to take eye drops, awful eye drops, painful eye drops. And I was at home some of that time. And what I would do is I had to take, uh, take these like eight eye drops an hour. And they had to be, and this was while I was awake, of course, five minutes apart from each other. So talk about something commanding your life, you know, taking over your life. And I, I just got to the point where 
I didn't feel like singing, and I didn't, but I could play piano. And I would take those drops, I'd go sit down at the piano, and I would just play. I probably played piano more those two months than I have in years. And God's presence was in that room in powerful ways and in wonderful, just comforting ways. God was with me. And I don't have time to go into the rest of the story. You've heard part of it. You've heard all of it at some point. Uh, But God brought me through that. He brought us through that. But I just look back on that dark, tough time and just I'm thankful that I, I just, I don't know what I would have done without the presence of God meeting me there. Whatever you feel is holding you captive, whether it's imprisoning you or preventing you from experiencing the life to the full that Jesus came to bring, I want to encourage you, worship. Just express your heart to God. Just take the Psalms. If you're like, Reese, I don't know what to say. Read the Psalms out loud. Just take them, read them from your heart. They're powerful. They're the word of God. It's we, we choose and we will to worship and to pray. Uh, read these. Never forget that the God we worship is good. He's kind. He's powerful. He is love. He never stops being that. And in his love and kindness, he comes to us. We worship him and we get to experience his manifest presence. I also want to remind you that as Paul and Silas worship God in prison, that other prisoners were listening to them. That was the very, and that first, that first uh, passage that I read, their worship turned into witness. And that can happen in our hearts and lives as well, because people are watching. We go through things in life and people are watching. They're watching, how does that Christian deal with stuff? How does that Christian deal with, with pain and broken relationship and, and financial crisis? How does that Christian, that follower of Jesus, how do they deal with that? And, you know, I think back on the surgeon that I worked with, um, God, another miracle of God. Um, The medical college did not have a corneal specialist at the time. Mary Margaret is having to take me to Emory in Atlanta twice a week for like two months uh, for like day-long visits. And the doctor I was working with there was wonderful. She's like, Reese, you're going to have to have a corneal transplant, and I can't do it because I'm about to go on maternity leave. It's like, where are your priorities? Come on. And right around that same time, through just uh, only God could do series of events, a corneal specialist moved to Augusta. I got connected with them through just uh, a mutual acquaintance, and she was able to get me right in. Uh, And we're talking on a Friday afternoon. I had just come from Emory. She had spent an hour on the phone with my surgeon at Emory who wasn't going to be able to do the surgery, but I had to have a surgery. And... She spent an hour, she said, come to my office. I remember going to the medical college at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And she sat me down and she's like, I don't want you to feel like I'm rushing anything. And I just like, hey, I'm a Christian. God's in control of this. He is operating all of this. He brought you into my life. He brought you here at this time to do this. And I trust him. You've got good credentials. Uh, my surgeon, the surgeon at Emory says, you're great. And I just trust in the ways of God and I'm praying for you. And a lot of people are praying for me. And we believe that God can heal, whether he wants to do it miraculously, miraculously or through uh, medicine, however he wants to do, we say yes, Lord, to your healing. 
And God brought me through that in, in, in a wonderful way. And, and, and so I'm thankful for that. I, it, you know, it's just like this, Psalm 34, um, people are listening, people are watching. You know, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And then he says, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Because the other prisoners, they were imprisoned as well. They were wondering, okay, where is the hope? And there are people around us who are going through the same kinds of things we are, if not worse, and they need to see what God's doing in our lives. They need to hear about it. Our worship welcomes the manifest presence of God. In God's presence, the kingdom is made known. His kingdom is made known. It's made known in all kinds of powerful and wonderful ways. Our God is omnipresent. We can never lose God's presence in, in, in our reality. But here is where we mess up. This is where we can get off track is when we lose the sense of God's presence. When we stop recognizing God where you're working in my life, how you're showing up. When we lose that sense of God's presence, that's what concerns me. That's what, that's what awakens my heart and my own heart in life for myself, but also for us as a church. When we stop pressing in, stop craving, stop, stop desiring the presence of God, uh, that's when we lose our joy. That's when we lose our, our first love, our effectiveness, and God wants us to be a fruitful vineyard. In God's presence, there is his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there is salvation. We can't save anybody. But as we are people of God's presence, we see the manifest presence of God filling us. And we see as we lift God, Jesus up that all men are drawn to, to, to him. And, and I believe that that's key to us being the fruitful vineyard. That's the key also to us seeing more salvations, more baptisms uh, in, in the life of our church. In God's presence, there is healing. Uh, and there have been seasons where not during ministry time at the end, but right before the message in worship, where People have experienced healing of all sorts, relational healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. We want that to, to, to be a natural part, a natural part of our worship time. In God's presence, there is healing, and in God's presence, there is rescue, and there is freedom. When the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved, he did not have a theological framework that would say, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Basically, what he was asking Paul and Silas was, what do I do to get out of this mess? But the answer for that question of eternity and the answer for that question of what do I do to get out of this mess is the same. And it was Paul and Silas's response, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be rescued, you and your household. This is not meant to be just an individual solo thing. It's meant to invade our, our homes, our families, our communities, our cities, our state, our country, our world. And that is, that is what God's called us to be, people of his presence, people who welcome his manifest presence with our worship.